What's up? Welcome to another episode of Movie Schmovie. Hello. Hello. This is episode 226. I'm John. I'm Ron. I'm Steve. We're back. I would say, is that the first month in its entirety that we've missed in like the run of the show? I think we may have gone off for about five weeks before, but is that the first time an entire month has gone by without an episode of Movie Schmovie? I think so. I think so. Because there was no November. It was it was literally November for, yeah, for this no- podcast. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with this show, yeah, actually, man. anyone out there listening. I, I would imagine people have gotten used to a little bit of irregularity on our part, but then um, when, a, when a, like a five or six week period goes by without an episode, I do get the occasional message of someone going like, is everything okay with you guys? <laughs> you know, did you guys finally have enough of each other? <laughs> I got that too, man. I got that too. You guys seem so friendly on the show. Is this like a thing where, like, behind the scenes, it's all shit? <laughs> and you hate each other? Like, we press stop. We're like, fuck you guys. <laughs> I just, we just stomp out of the room. Is that what happens? Oh, man. You know, I, I, I'm not faking it. I don't know if, if you guys are faking it. You're doing a great job of faking being my friend. No, not faking this. it at so, all. I love well, you thank guys. you for that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here, guys. So let's, let's make the most of this. And, uh, Get some things on the table and, and, and get a conversation going. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, well, to start things off, I guess at the time this episode comes out, people will have seen uh, a trailer for Avengers 4 as well, whatever that will be called. We don't know at the time we're recording this. But um, we ourselves have just seen the trailer release for Captain Marvel, which is our first real glimpse of whatever this next phase is for Marvel. And I know we've had a, a few exchanges about it, but I don't really know what you guys think in detail. So I'd love to dig in. What did uh, you think, Ronald, Steve, about the Captain Marvel trailer? Steve, I'll let you go first. Um, I mean, honestly, I've been pretty outspoken, like, with you guys on our little thread that we keep on Facebook Messenger, but, like, I, I really just am having trouble getting excited for the movie. I mean, I really want to be, because I'm excited for, like John said, whatever this next phase looks like uh, for Marvel, because what feels like maybe a changing of tides for the eighth time for DC, like, like they may have some good stuff coming out. It makes me really interested into like what Marvel's doing with positioning this next phase. I mean, obviously everybody's really excited for it, and um, you know, extremely anticipate. I mean, excited for uh, Avengers four, whatever that ends up being called. But I mean, for this to be the film that kind of is like a stopgap between, uh, you know, this past summer with Avengers: uh, Infinity War and Ant Man, and then whatever and Avengers four is, it's like. I'm just having a lot of trouble like really buying into this being a film to launch that next phase or, or to be a part of that next phase. And I don't know if it's just that they don't want to give away anything in the trailer. So they're kind of going for just wow moments or one-liners or, you know, shots of Sam Jackson digitally de-aged and you know, without an eye patch and all this, you know, I'm, sh- and from what I'm reading, like there's tons of things in these trailers, like for the comic fans, which know the character inside and out. And like, they're loving that stuff. But I mean, you know, as the resident, uh, comic book movie fan, like I'm, I'm not, I don't get those things as easily. And I don't, I don't, you know, that's not a part of the trailer experience for me. So I'm genuinely looking at this and how it fits into the MCU and, you know, just in perspective of what's come in the last year in terms of Black Panther and Infinity War and even as fun as Ant-Man was, 
Like I, I'm just having trouble getting pumped for this film, and I want to be because it's important. It's an important movie in 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 their film universe, and just for you know a female led superhero film in their universe. And um, I don't know, man. It's just something is not clicking. We were talking last night, like some of the line deliveries seem kind of weird, and the story kind of feels a little small, even though it's got this like intergalactic element to it, and. Uh, I just, I, the only thing I can think is that they're just not wanting to give anything away. I mean, like in which I can get, but I, I just, the assumption that everybody's sold on it is dangerous to me only because I am having trouble just buying into being excited for this movie as its own thing. Not just like, oh, this is the movie that's going to get me to Avengers four and oh, she's going to be like a huge part of it. It's, it's not... It's not. It shouldn't be just that. It's like, what are you doing to get people excited for this movie outside of it being, you know, Marvel's really, you know, one of their first, like, or the MCU's first, like, female-driven superhero film. It, it, there's got to be something more there, and I, maybe another trailer or a final trailer does that. But for me, it's just not there. Just not there yet. Um. So... I I think I think sometimes when it comes to my opinions on Disney, sometimes it could come across like um, I don't I don't like them in some ways, and and that's not the case. I think I like to keep a pretty level head about the things that are in front of my face, and I think that in general, I think that the Marvel brand in general has kind of been on a decline. I really didn't like um, the last movie. I mean, I've kind of voiced it before. It didn't feel like a, a full movie the way that it should have, especially if it's if it's the conclusion of of ten years of all this stuff. Um, and Wait, that's not Infinity War. Infinity War. I'm, I apologize. Okay. Infinity okay. War. I, I didn't feel like it was, especially if we're talking about all of the movies. And and you can say that you like. I think that the villain in Infinity War obviously incredible, but the movie itself didn't quite feel as complete as I thought it should have, even if it was split mm-hmm. into two, which mm-hmm. is which is okay. Now, I had this doubt, and this is something I've kind of brought up while we were talking about all of this fate, all these phases, is that can they maintain the momentum for a really long time? Because this is a long time that they've they've maintained this momentum. And I could feel it kind of declining in the last couple movies. Not that the individual movies were bad that the all around story being told the bigger story being told still didn't feel like it was complete so as we get to the end of one part of this chapter the new one comes up and it and it it is reflected in the momentum that i was talking about in these films that it's it's not gone i'm not saying that the disney's Disney Marvel momentum is gone. Like it's non-existent. It's just mm-hmm. something about it isn't feel like it's being buttoned up like the way that it needs to be. And Captain Marvel comes along and I mean, let's be honest, is probably one of the more bland trailers that we've ever seen in this whole thing. And I have a couple right. of questions. Why the hell didn't they use um Scarlett Johansson's character, Black Widow? Why wasn't that character good enough to bring in? You could have introduced that character within that. That's not a crazy idea. It could have blended two women in in a situation, brought in a character that we already know, bring in a new one. 
I don't think this character's strong enough from what I'm seeing to carry this midway point between the two the two Infinity Wars. So that's my issue. Right. I don't think that this is gonna be this isn't the axe. People try to talk in hyperbole like this is not the the momentum. It's not that. It's just that we're seeing a lull in the strategy of the Marvel Disney machine, and it doesn't feel good. And we can see it, and people are voicing it. And it's not our imagination. They just haven't planned it all as well as we may have thought that they did. So that's that's all I think. I mean, I'm 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 going to see it regardless, obviously. Sure. But sure. something feels off about it. Very, very, very off. Well, I think it's interesting that you are zeroing in on kind of how you feel coming off of Infinity War as a pivot for you. I really loved Infinity War, but I have the same feeling that you have about just the slowing of the momentum of the the sense that this is sort of like the hottest ticket going and that everyone's going to be excited to see whatever <laughs> the next Marvel thing is. You know, I mean, I think that they ha- they, they still have it. I'm, I'm not saying I think this movie looks like it's going to flop. Right, right. Based on the reaction I've seen on Twitter, I do see a lot of people who are genuinely enthused about this character. Right. There's a lot of people who are responding to seeing the iconography that they love and seeing hints and clues of story pieces that they think this might be. I don't have any of that association with this character. So that might be part of why the trailer felt a little dry to me in the same way that you guys are describing. The word generic comes up. I keep seeing people saying it looks like superhero the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, which seems a little harsh. <laughs> It does. It does. Because I think we all want to get behind the idea that Marvel is kind of belatedly doing this with a female lead. And as a Brie Larson fan, I like that she's not quippy. I like that she's not, you know, trying to be like Robert Downey Jr. or Paul Rudd or, or Chris Pratt. But the truth is, a lot of those trailers with those characters in them pop because of that sort of, maybe you can say it's a little cheesy at this point, the Marvel formula of of hanging a lampshade on things by cracking a joke about the improbability of things sure. but i think that slight irreverence is what made people get into this series so yes we do have the question of whether brie larson is is just being presented in this kind of dry way to be secretive about the story as you said steve just not giving things away or if that's their take on the character and they maybe are counting on samuel l jackson to be the spice the humor but i'm sort of dreading this amnesia plot line that they're hinting at yes where she's piecing back together her story there's so much about it that just kind of sounds like is that what we're doing is that what we're spending a movie doing i do like some of the imagery i like like when she powers up and her hair floats up and it looks like something from anime or something yeah. i don't even like anime but i like that kind of otherworldliness that seems to be coming through about the character so i'm hoping they have withheld a lot of the really interesting stuff that is going to make it different from what it seems to be, which is, again, a movie that I want to be very excited about, that on paper I'm thrilled that it's finally happening. It's going to take a lot for them to surprise us at this point. And my my big thing coming off of Infinity War is not disappointment in the movie, as you had, Ronald, but it's going like, okay, well, what can you do with these characters now? If it is, as we're all kind of admitting now, sort of a serialized story and a television show more so than a series of complete movies sometimes... If you're just building up to a moment so that you can then build up to the next moment, and supposedly she's going to be pivotal, Captain Marvel's going to be pivotal in the next uh, Avengers movie, if they introduce her in March and she doesn't quite click, yeah. and then she's pivotal in their big statement like a month and a half later, I do think that is is something to be concerned about in terms of a loss of momentum. But my whole thing is I don't think you can stay on top forever. Nobody can. Um, so if DC's gaining ground with some of their shit and Marvel's losing a little bit of ground, that's just inevitable. It's been a it's been a good run for them. Yeah, this feels like a Supergirl movie, and that, and that's one thing that bothered me about the trailer too. 
um i i watched the first season of supergirl and this feels almost exactly the way that that felt minus the quirkiness of supergirl you know it's just something about it doesn't feel like it's you know, like you said, the spice that Marvel normally provides, it doesn't feel like it's there for this. And I can't figure out why, why that is, but it's it's happening some, somehow. The, I think the one thing that's kind of like just hanging over top of me is just that, like, I feel like there's so much stuff going on in terms of conversations about Avengers Infinity War that it's almost like, like you kind of were getting at, John, is like, it's over, I mean, not in Infinity War, part four, that it's like, you know, there's anticipation for a teaser and, all, you know, whatever. And it's so, I feel like it's so overshadowing, like the the Captain Marvel stuff, for me especially. I mean, and, I, and I've talked to a couple people uh, that I work with and, you know, just friends of mine that like have seen the trailers and, you know, some are big fans of the whole universe and some are just casual watchers of these films. And a few of them kind of like, are kind of in the same boat like i i just don't I, I think a part of it is kind of overshadowing it and like it's an uphill battle trying to get people sold on this being a launch into avengers 4 and into a new phase for marvel and i think the most important thing for me is really because coming off of the last like year of the marvel films they are arguably some of the best films that they've ever made so it's like you know, you, you take Thor, Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Infinity War, and then you say, okay, show me what you got next, and then you watch a trailer for Captain Marvel. To me, that's where I'm just like, what? Because I think, you know, yeah, those characters are maybe already introduced in the universe, and they've had their other films, but what they've done for those movies and those characters and the way those trailers were, were cut just took the anticipation, like, through the roof in terms of, like, you know, what... Your, or what my excitement level was to see those characters pop off the screen. And she's definitely at a disadvantage because she hasn't had an opportunity to really be introduced in these movies in any way, um, except for like, you know, the little beeper stinger or whatever that was at the end of Infinity War. But um, Which only meant anything to comic book nerds. It right, didn't mean exactly. anything to the average audience member. Exactly. Which is kind of like a, a beef I have with those post-credit scenes and Easter eggs in general, is that right. I don't like the idea that it's supposed to be a big moment in the theater and that half the audience is going to be turning to their friend and saying, what the heck is that? Why, yeah. why do we care about that? <laughs> Even though I know that's kind of their bread and butter, that they've thrown in that little trail of Reese's Pieces to bring the fans <laughs> along. But I think that I think those movies would be just as good without any of that stuff. Right, right. A broader question would just be what's going on with Marvel in general. You know, Disney is getting this Disney Plus thing going, uh, which is going to be a streaming service that's going to have some pretty amazing content on it, honestly, between the Star Wars projects they've announced and... Um, and a couple of the Marvel things, and then some other things it sounds like they're doing. I don't necessarily want to send any more money their way than you do, Ronald. <laughs> but Disney's got this thing figured out. But one of the things they seem to be doing is this slow, recessive thing. Like, they're pulling their content away from other services and other things. And one of the symptoms of this seems to be the... It was happening already, but now it seems really clear that they're just slowly killing off all of their uh, Netflix series. And that entire division of the Marvel television universe which i was never a very avid viewer of but i think you guys may have watched a little bit more of it how do you feel about that and what do you think this says about this period of transition that the company's in that they're about to have this this television arm that's going to maybe be more connected to the movies because of the disney streaming service and now this stuff is is going away does that feel like a loss does it feel like something that was inevitable to you guys uh i i think that i mean there was an announcement that the the actual Marvel shows are not going to Disney Plus. I mean, I've read that a couple places, 
which is strange. But the, yes. the fact that they're eliminating them the way that they are, as if they're ter- they're all terrible. This is the thing that many people agree that these are not the best shows on Netflix. But there's a quality to them that people are enjoying the rawness that we've never seen in some of these characters in TV form. Mm-hmm. It's not the best. They work. It seems like they're working on it. But it feels like uh, I I hate that I'm going to have to have more services to watch things that I want to watch. You know, I'm going to have to get Disney Plus if I ever want to watch a Star Wars movie. Um Unless I purchase it on yeah. iTunes yeah. or something like that. Well, think about like yeah, the the Pixar stuff, the Marvel stuff, the Star Wars stuff. That's a lot. The Disney's like that has been that that has been a big part of what's cool about Netflix's recent approach to yes. movies, which is that they don't have the classic deep catalog they used to have. But it's like as a parent that they did have a lot of the stuff that we would want to put on for Henry. So it is interesting that yeah, it is sort of you see the future of Netflix as being something different completely as they lose all that content from Disney and Marvel, and it does kind of. Seem like uh, you know it's it's going to be Disney plus Netflix plus Hulu plus like we're going to have like nineteen different things that we're subscribed to. Yeah. Uh, cutting the cord is not going to be the penny saver <laughs> that it was before. Right? Did you guys have a favorite Netflix show or one that really clicked for you that you're sad to see go? The ones that have been canceled are Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Daredevil. They've pretty much therefore announced there will be no more Defenders. I mean, is Jessica Jones the only one left that that think, yeah, is Jessica supposedly Jones happening? Well, the Punisher. Uh, the Punisher. Yeah. Oh, the Punisher. Yes. Um, so I really like the Punisher, Daredevil, and Luke Cage. I thought those were all really good shows. Um, the second season of Luke Cage, people said was terrible, but it also didn't get promoted very well, which kind of was an indicator of what was happening anyway. What is Netflix doing with its promotion? Yeah, it's crazy because they they promote the shit out of certain things like. Uh, I've seen lots of stuff for Narcos, but Narcos obviously is a hit, like a smash hit, right? But I feel like I should see a quarter of that for any other show that they're releasing because I feel like they're spending money on it. They may as well throw it on a couple sites, have it show up a couple places. And I, I, I saw no internet presence, no anything for Luke Cage. It just felt like, and it also felt like that for Daredevil. So I'm wondering what the fuck was happening over there where they felt like, they just weren't going to – and I guess it justifies them canceling it. If they're like, well, it's not doing well, we could just – but it was – neither one of those shows were promoted well. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely odd, but it makes total sense in some ways. I mean, there's been a pretty fraught history like between Marvel Studios and Marvel Television. Yeah. Like I think one of you were saying earlier. But I mean like – I think the fact that like Marvel Studios is basically its own thing outside of Disney now, which was a big thing a year or earlier in the year, I think that's kind of like the nail in the coffin when that happened, only because anything that Marvel TV was putting out, basically the Netflix stuff and like the stuff that was, I think was, wasn't one of the, what was one, Agent Carter or whatever that one, or there yeah. was one that was like on, on on a broadcast on one of the networks um, that was on ABC, ABC and it was it was yeah. designed to sort of fit into the couple of months that uh, Agents of Shield was on hiatus right that, um, that one and right. so there were like two eight episode seasons that actually that was a pretty fun show I found that show a lot more watchable than Agents of Shield for instance knowing it was going to be eight episodes and that it was going to tell a little story and it had the period setting yeah 
I was kind of sad to see that go, but I was not surprised because I don't think anybody really watched it. I just think that, again, I think we're talking about this Marvel thing. There is a finite aspect to how much of it you can really enjoy watching. Right. No, I'm kind of sad to see the little experiment end because, again, I know a lot of people that are attached to those those versions of the characters, and I can imagine that would be frustrating to see it kind of just killed off. I think since that kind of separation happened with Marvel Studios and all the announcements that they've made for the you know the series that they're trying to get going for the the Disney Plus service you know as it relates to Marvel or as it relates to what Disney's doing with you know these Star Wars series like they they obviously want to have more control over um over the IP and you know the platform that it's on so I mean like the fact that these shows could only exist or only existed because of Netflix and Netflix was willing to you know pay its you know you, you know, kind of put their foot forward like they always have or they have this reputation of like just putting money up to make content. You know, now they're getting the opportunity to make their own. And, you know, I think they're just basically closing the door on anybody else delivering any of the IP that they have a hand in. And I mean, that is totally logical from a business standpoint. And, you know, I never really got into many of the Marvel shows on Netflix, to be honest. I mean, the one that I probably liked the most was Daredevil. But I mean, I never even I don't think I even watched the last season of it. But um, I heard it was I pretty good. The, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard nothing but good things about it, and like, I I like that show. That that's the one I like, and I mean, I I watched that, and I was excited to watch that show. But I don't know, it, it's not something that I'm going to miss at all, um, to be honest, personally. But uh, I'm curious to see what they start doing with the with the MCU properties that they're going to try to get onto the Disney Plus service and like the Loki I think they announced like the Loki series or the Loki whatever that's going to be yeah a Loki series with Tom Hiddleston and I think a Vision and Scarlet Witch show yeah. with uh Paul Bettany and uh Elizabeth Olsen yeah, I could see that kind of snuffing out the need to bring the Netflix characters into much of anything because they would say, well, why would we use a TV character, essentially, when we've got movie characters that we can utilize? But but I wonder if the fan reaction will be strong enough that they'll say, okay, we, we need to do something with Daredevil and and uh, um, Luke Cage and, and Jessica Jones and make sure they get you know, honored in some way uh, as being yeah. part of the universe. So we'll see. Speaking of the whole universe, though, I guess there's one other bit of Marvel news that's worthy of uh, sharing some thoughts on, the passing of Stan Lee. How did you feel when you heard the news? I was devastated. Um, Stan Lee has always been like a fixture in my life, you know, and especially um, him get, him getting acquainted with an audience that didn't really know much about him, kind of seeing him through the Marvel universe showing up in all the movies. And, uh, he's, I'm a huge fan. Um, yeah, I not gonna lie, man. I cried when he died. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he's an older guy. I figured it was going to happen eventually, but when it happened, it, it just took the wind out of my sails. He was, he's, he's the reason why we, uh, know all of these amazing characters whether he you know he had a hand in it or uh you know just kind of pushed some of these characters forward he is the reason why there's a cinematic universe to ever speak of and i think that um his legacy is gonna it's, it's interesting it's just gonna last forever it's this re these retelling of these stories are gonna happen forever and um I'm going to miss him. It's a pretty monumental loss for, I mean, 
the comic community and this these this this series of films and all all the Marvel properties that he has ever had cameos in. I mean, that's been a part of the excitement of all these movies too, is seeing not just the fact that you know he's had a hand in creating all these characters or um, just you know how he would be a part of each of the movies. You know, that was always fun to see what his cameo would be and. Um, it'll be kind of sad to get to a point where, you know, you don't see him in the films. I'm sure they'll find ways to still incorporate him in the movies in some way to, to honor his memory and and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not again, you know, not to be a broken record. Like I'm not the comic guy who like, you know, had like an affinity for him growing up or, you know, really, I was always aware of his place uh, in the legacy of comics and, you know, basically, you know, being, uh, one of, if not the reason that comics, uh, go so mainstream and become the, the huge juggernaut that, that they are now, um, on every media platform that they touch. So, I mean, I, I have nothing but a respect for that kind of creativity and that kind of power behind a person. So, I mean, it's just like, there's not many of those people out there anymore in any, piece of media like that you can look to and and point to like you could say stan lee was with marvel um so that's huge you know that's a loss and that's a that's a changing of a of a um you know i don't know like of a legacy of an icon and you know there's not many people out there like him anymore that that kind of touch as much as he has in terms of the characters that you know he had a hand in creating and, and how they've affected and inspired and motivated people that um have fallen in love with the character of their choice but um you know it's just a really sad thing but you know he had a long life and it seems like he had a pretty successful one in a lot of ways so um you know i think he left a great mark and and i think people will continue to do their best to bring you know his visions his stories his characters to the screen to the television to the page to whatever pr- you know, medium you love to in, in, indulge them in. Yeah, he was such a great hype man. And I think that's the thing that's interesting about him. And when you said he's kind of one of a kind, I was thinking about why the passing of a 95-year-old could be still such a shock. And I think right. it is the, it's the Bowie, David Bowie effect or the Prince effect or the Carrie Fisher effect or something where this yeah. person just seemed like an icon. Even as a lifelong comics fan, all I really knew was the the sort of character of Stanley that he created for the comics, who was this kind of, you know, uh, P.T. Barnum-esque, <laughs> like, uh, carnival barker guy who was getting you into the stories, and, and sometimes he would narrate things, and other times it would just say Stanley Presents at the beginning. Sure. And he had a column, and, you know, they've reprinted frequently this 1968 column he wrote that was all about the evils of prejudice and uh, um, bigotry, and some of those early comics where they were saying, let's, ha- let's create some, some black superheroes, or let's, let's have a female-led comic. Like, they, they were a little clumsy sometimes in their attempts to be progressive. But he was always, he always kind of had his heart on the right place about inclusion, and, and as far as that extra thing of why he was so important. It, he did seem like a really good guy when you were a kid. He's a little bit responsible for superheroes taking over comic books in America, which is a little bit of a shame, but he's also responsible for bringing some element of depth and some element of relatability to those characters and kind of making it into a soap opera. But what's interesting is this current consciousness of him didn't happen until maybe the X-Men movie, the first X-Men movie, was when he had that cameo in the movie. Imagine being 80 or, you know, in your mid-80s and suddenly this MCU thing gets started. I mean, who but Stan Lee is going to have the life he had and live to be 95 and have his last 10 years be maybe (laughs) his most visible and most successful? You know, I mean, to me, that just says everything about the guy, that he was just, he never stopped selling. 
Um, yeah. And I think that's there is something kind of beautiful about that. And that does seem like something that's a very 20th century American uh, invention. Uh, Stanley. Yeah. So long, Stan. So long, man. So shifting gears to movies, I know there's a few that we want to cover uh, before this episode is over. And we're going to have some lengthier discussions in a minute, but uh, there's one new movie that Steve and I were able to attend a screening of that sadly Ronald was not able to come to, but I feel like we need to share our thoughts uh, uh, in brief here up top, and that would be uh, Barry Jenkins' much-awaited follow-up to Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk. And it is a real gut punch of a movie. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was great. I mean, I think... Uh... <sighs> Barry Jenkins just is like an incredible filmmaker. I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't admit to, you know, being very much aware of who he was prior to Moonlight. Um, and I know like, you know, we've talked about his, his films before that and past podcasts, but like, um, there's just something that this dude brings to the screen that is just not only important and not only like impactful, but it's just a gorgeous thing to look at. And, you know, the cinematographer that he works with is just, uh, amazing and i think this story is like a hard one to watch and it's not like the most uh i'm not i'm not admittedly again i'm not i'm not uh, familiar with the source material the james baldwin novel that's based on but um it's a tough watch it's not something that is like a crowd pleasing movie it's a it's, it's a challenging film to watch it's an uncomfortable film to watch but it's super fucking romantic and it's super uh inspiring in so many ways and it's it's just uh, it's just a gorgeous movie, and the performances in it are great. Regina King is amazing. Um, oh man, she's she's always she's always good, but this is the most like uh, kind of earthy, earthy and relatable and real I've seen her be. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, her that 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 one shot close up of her when she goes to visit uh, the woman out of the country is. I mean that's her that's her Oscar real scene. Like if that that's going to be the scene that gets shown before she wins an Oscar this year, I bet. She's in, she's incredible in that movie, but that scene is is just is outstanding. Um But yeah, man, I I thought it was really great. I really liked it a lot. Um the younger cast, uh Kiki Palmer and Stephen Stephen James um are both great. And on a side note, Stephen James, I'm not, I wasn't super familiar with him. Like I've seen him in a bunch of movies, but I, I, you know, I didn't know he had this coming down the pike this year, but I also recently watched the Amazon series that, uh, the homecoming series with Julia Roberts and, and he's the other co-star, the other man lead in that film. Oh, he is. Oh, that series. And that, that series was great, man. We watched it in like two days and, um, he's incredible in that as well. So be, seeing Beale Street and watching this like the week after, he immediately is like a guy that I'm just like all about this dude. I can't wait to see what he's in next. And um, he just jumps, he just jumps off the screen uh, in, in, in both of those properties. But Beale street is like a, when it, when it hits theaters, you know, in a, in a, in a week or so, uh, hopefully people go out and support it because you know, it's, it's a, it's a really great film and it's a, it's a really gorgeous film to watch. Just the colors and the tones are just they're just it's just amazing. Moonlight had that peculiar way of getting at your emotions and of making you think about these simple interactions and simple exchanges yeah. for days afterwards and weeks afterwards and years afterwards. And I have a feeling that there are moments in if Bill Street could talk that are are going to make me feel the same way. So the way that it's more of a kind of meditative approach to telling a story, it moves through time in an interesting way. 
Um, it's very close up on these characters. Part of what was so arresting about, say, Regina King's performances in this movie is having seen her do a lot before. I, have, I don't know that I've seen her face that large, that close for that long, you know, yeah. and there's some amazing stuff going on. I think Barry Jenkins did that a lot in Moonlight. He, he let those faces tell the story. And I think that um, you see the similar kind of acting and attention to human detail uh, the frailty the way that people can be like uh their worst self and their best self like in the same moment uh you know it's somehow somehow he gets at that in this movie you're right steve the romance is maybe the most surprising thing about it is that you can say it's a legit love story yeah. you'll feel that you'll feel that lift you get from a love story even through these things these challenges these this strife that these these, these two characters go through like there's still so much love in this film and there's still so much of this massive sense of family and um, joy and, you know, just even through all of this stuff that these people go through in the movie, it's just like those things are still so strong and they exist. And it's just that's an amazing thing. A lot of shitty things happen in this movie, but it's not a movie about how life sucks at all. Right. It's it's it's, it's a really great movie. I I can't wait for, for you to see it, Ron. I know you're really excited to see it. You couldn't make it to the screening, but I cannot wait. You know who else is great in it, Ronald? I, I hate that I don't know the guy's name, but it's Paperboy from Atlanta, who was also brilliant in Widows. What's his name? Yeah, Brian Tyree Henry. He's incredible, man. Oh yeah, man, he's so good. He's like having a he's having a year. He is. He, he, yeah, he's in like wait. everything, man. He's he's so good. He is. Are you guys ready to talk about Widows? Oh yeah. Yeah, boy. All right, so this is a, a new movie that we've all seen, and I think we all enjoyed it. In some ways, Widows is a half-baked genre movie, um, but in other ways, it's a really deep character exploration. And in some ways, it's a it's a crime thriller, and in some ways, it's a it's a drama. It even has a subplot that reminds me of The Wire, without it gets into sort of local politics and the yeah. racial uh, politics within local politics. I think what makes it work is that Steve McQueen. It kind of elevates it with his filmmaking and that pretty much every actor in the thing elevates it with their performance. It is a very pulpy story. I, I kind of loved it, to be honest with you. There are so many things happening in it that it feels like you get to experience a lot of really good things. And even if there are some cracks in it or there are, you know, there's a couple of scenes that I thought were kind of weird and it didn't really play well. Um, one stands out to me in particular, but um Overall, though, I just feel like it's kind of it feels like kind of like a, a unicorn to me in some ways, in the sense that it's like a very it, it's, a, it's a very adult dramatic thriller that like studios don't usually make anymore. And yeah, um, it doesn't really kind of cater to being too fancy with like the whole heist piece, you know, like some people that have been criticizing it are, are kind of saying like it should have played a little more into the pulpiness of the heist itself, like planning it and pulling it off and who's doing what and all this stuff. And it doesn't really, you know, basically like the Ocean's Eleven formula of like, you know, how this is going to happen. And it doesn't really play too much into that. That would have been a much more boring movie, I think. Yeah, no, no, no. I I, I agree. But I feel like it, the person that's looking for that kind of film, you know, watches this movie and, and it doesn't, and you know, you don't see that because you're not really supposed to be watching a movie like that. You're supposed to be watching more of a character study you know, sitting inside of a political, you know, thriller, sitting inside of a heist film, sitting inside of an action movie or something like that, you know? And it's that it's the way that those different genres are like nested inside of one another so neatly. 
um, that I think is the piece that McQueen really brings to it and, and kind of elevates this kind of film. And like you said, I think all of the performances um, <clears throat> are really great. I mean, Viola Davis is always amazing. I mean, she is just like a force. I, I am just like rocked watching her on screen really do anything ever. And I, mm-hmm. I love watching her in anything. And I think she's great in this. And um, really, you know, not to get too much into the film, just not to spoil anything for those who haven't seen it. Just like really across the board, I think all the performances are great. I I've, I, I love Colin Farrell. I think he's great in this movie. I think Michelle Rodriguez doing something besides the, uh, the Fast franchise is a really good thing for her to kind of remind people that there's more to her performances and to what she's done as an actor prior to the Fast and the Furious franchise that really is on display in this movie. Um, you know, uh, Cynthia Revo is great in it, who I have no idea who she was prior to Bad Times at the El Royale and in two movies back-to-back, I I've, I've thought she was great. Um, and Elizabeth Becky, who seems to be 10 feet tall in this film, uh, <laughs> is everybody she, else just really short? <laughs> yeah, it must it must be like her standing next to Cynthia Revo is like it's crazy because like she's very short and Elizabeth is very tall, but um, she's I don't know man I just think everybody in this movie is really good and I think uh, there's some great surprises in it and you know even if you see some of them coming I just think they 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 pay off nicely. I really enjoyed it, man. It was an incredible movie. I loved it. And, and one of the best villains, one of the scariest villains I've seen oh on screen God. in a while. Yeah, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, I think uh, Kaluuya is just off the charts in this movie, man. Like, that sequence in the gym where he's got those two guys, like, doing the rap that they're doing when they're locked in the box. Yeah. Uh, and he's, so and he's just like, it, it was random, dude, but, you know, it was so commanding. And I just felt like him kind of circling them and just, like, yes. you know, where he's got his head tilted and he's kind of, like... He's kind of vibing with what they're doing just to kind of like throw him off a little bit. That's that is that sequence was like I thought that sequence was awesome and just like the track shot around them and I, I just thought that, that that's a that's a sequence where you're like okay this is a filmmaker who knows what he's doing because you know you're not sure how you're feeling watching this happen and and then when it when when the thing happens after that scene you're like fuck like that guy is a villain like he is bad. I've had like a week and a half off of work, so I've been trying to catch up on a lot of stuff. And for like all the movies that I think I saw over that break, I think that was probably my favorite one that I saw in the last like week and a half. Um, but we'll see where it we're, we'll see where it ends up on our end of year list, which is coming down the pike here. I'm super excited to kind of get around to those finally too. Yeah, me too. I know you guys just saw Creed two. I haven't seen that. Uh, tell me, uh, should I run out and go see Creed two? Steve, what do you think? So I wouldn't say you need to stress yourself out to run out and see Creed 2. I, um, I, I liked Creed 2. I mean, like, I, I walked out of the theater feeling good. I, I enjoyed the movie. I'd recommend it. Um, I, being someone who absolutely loved Creed, and it made my top ten, maybe even my top five the year it came out, um, I just was kind of, I felt the 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 absence of Ryan Coogler in this film. Um pretty pretty noticeably like within the first half an hour of the movie and um you know while Stephen Caples Jr. like he did his thing and you know he's a up-and-coming filmmaker and I'm he did he did not do a bad job in any way like the film has been really well received and it's not a bad movie it's just a different kind of Creed film and it kind of 
it kind of feels a little more of a, I guess maybe a little more generic to me. Um, some of the boxing sequences just don't have that pop or that that visual style or storytelling that Kugler was bringing in Creed, which kind of, in my opinion, is kind of what revitalized that whole franchise in some way, you know, outside of Michael B. Jordan and, um, you know, even Sylvester Stallone's performance in the first film. But, you know, I don't know. I think the best things about this film, I mean, honestly, I loved all the Drago stuff. Um, I thought the stuff with Dolph Lundgren and and uh, and his son Victor in the film, I forget the actor's name who plays him, or I think he's actually a boxer. Um, but the Victor Ivan Drago storyline and the Russia, you know, their ties with their country, their home country, like all that stuff I thought worked really well. And um, I'd almost be willing to watch a movie about that. Um, but some of the, some of the, some of the family beats, some of the character beats kind of got a little too melodramatic for me at times. Um, the, the tried and true Rocky montage, uh, sequences didn't really click with me as well as they have done in prior Rocky films or even in Creed. Um, that said, I'll see Creed three the day, you know, the weekend it comes out. I mean, I'm, I'm still in on this franchise for sure. I don't think that it's. It's got it's got legs still, and I'm sure they'll make a third one, and it'll be announced soon. I'm sure because this movie's going to make over a hundred million dollars. I'm sure, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's it's not a negative thing at all. It's just more of like a, I I did really like it and I enjoyed it. It just didn't it didn't pop to me like uh, like Creed did. The performances didn't come off the screen as as much as it did, and I think a lot of that is just because of the absence of a filmmaker uh, as strong as Ryan Coogler is and. Uh, and and that's kind of you know where I stand with it, Ronald. What do you think? Um, it just lacked a lot of heart, man. I, I think the the thing that really connected me to the first one was um, the spec- specificity of some of the relationships and what made them work. And and this movie really got away from that. It really, I mean, and it, and it was it's a different it's a different period in Creed's life. He's he's much more successful, right. but. Right. I think they could have played on the emotion of how separated from his old life he felt, how celebrity feels to him. I feel like Ryan Coogler probably would have hit on that a little better. Um, and while the you were saying, like, you were absolutely right, the, the fight scenes aren't quite as good, filmed quite as well technically, the brutality yeah. is a lot better in this one. So it comes across like, man, this this these are brutal, brutal fights. And something that wasn't quite touched on like it was in the first. But it just doesn't have the heart, man. But it's weird. As I say all of this stuff, it still is a really good movie. It still is worth seeing. Um, But I I wouldn't rush out to see this one like I would have rushed out to see the first one. I I absolutely think this is going to be one of those movies that I'm going to watch three, four times at home. I know I am. I know that it's some, yeah. it's, there are things about it that work. I also felt like um, they didn't really polish the Drago thing enough. The Drago drama was good enough that he could have had more of a story than he did. And it just felt like they were glossing over the fact that he was living in abject poverty and <laughs> and came out of that to fight this man. It just That was a huge thing I, that they just kind of glossed over. Like, this man is poor <laughs> very very poor and they're just like oh well he came to philly he's gonna fight him what it just felt too weird 
And ba- based on the timing that Drago and him fought, it just told the whole story. And that that's weird. It, it was too predictable in that way. So, um, but I would suggest that even with all that stuff said, it just yeah. isn't something I'd rush to see, like like Steve says. So, yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to see it because, I mean, I loved Creed as well, and I thought that it was a really cool way to invigorate this series, which wasn't even something that was on my list of things I needed to see, but I loved the, how well, I just loved how well Ryan Coogler in particular, but Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone, Tessa Thompson, everybody involved brought this quality to that movie that felt like it was made with the same kind of spirit as the original Rocky, but obviously in a much more polished, much more modern way. And I, I, I was a little surprised when for the sequel, they went to the most kind of melodramatic, overblown Rocky yeah. movie, which was Rocky Four. However, it didn't surprise me at all when I started hearing people say that Dolph Lundgren's material was good, because I think what we've all realized since Rocky Four is that we all really think Dolph Lundgren is a cool guy. Like, yeah, we've all heard totally. about how smart he is, and he's like a guy who in interviews seems very self-aware. Yeah. He's yeah. just, he's not the star of the thing. But I think that, uh, yeah, I'm, I was always, I, that was my big takeaway, was I'm, I'm interested in the Drago stuff because I like Dolph Lundgren, and, uh, and I'm glad to hear that it comes off. But also, I think Michael B. Jordan is just on a high yeah. right now. We like watching him. He's got a similar... Not not similar energy to Stallone, but a similar quality to what Stallone had when he was putting out Rocky movies, which is just people right now. Are, I mean, he's one of the people who you could say there. I mean, because I see the reaction on social media, at least people want to see a new Michael B. Jordan movie. I mean, he's a name. He's a name. Yeah. I feel like his star was burnished much more by Black Panther than, say, Chadwick Boseman. Oh, for sure. In a strange way. Yeah, no, totally. I forgot to mention that Sylvester Stallone is acting his ass off in this fucking movie. Like, it is uncomfortable how good he is in this movie. Like, there are some choices that he makes. Like, I feel like a shitty actor would have, like, flipped tables over his subtle stuff that he's doing. Man, I don't know what I don't know what Sylvester Stallone's been doing this last couple of years, but his, his acting is sharp, man. It's really, really sharp. Especially some of the scenes with, like, uh, Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone are kind of having these really personal conversations he's acting his ass off man so it it's that's also an incentive to see it yeah well uh stallone posted something on social media that alluded to this being his last time to play rocky like he was saying farewell to it in retrospect not that he was going to do another movie that would be his last but that this was his last and um i don't know if you guys heard that but also if that's true did this movie stand up to that idea that this is a a farewell to the character I think so. I do as well. Yeah, I think it's it's maybe not the the huge fanfare send off, you know, that people maybe have expected or wanted, but I think that um, I think it makes total sense in the way this movie ends. And uh, there's a lot of really interesting choices in terms of some of the shot sequences, like in the last ten minutes, that really kind of set up the idea that like you know you've you've been introduced to a character and now you're being handed off with a character and i think that's like the you know the idea that this is a creed franchise now and that it doesn't have to rely on rocky he can be somebody who exists but rocky is at a point as a character where he needs to be more than just rocky and he needs to be like other things in this world and i think they handled that pretty well actually in the, at the end of the you know without spoilers like i think they handled that well enough in the end of the film where him making a comment like that is not shocking and and i can see that being a good point where you know this character is established enough that rocky can still be out there somewhere but 
doesn't need to be a part of the films in the way that he's been in these two. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, like, it's like, you know, it's arguably one of like, one of the most iconic movie characters ever. So, I mean, like, you know, it, it's kind of hard to say, oh, that's going to be the last, that's it, you know? But I mean, you know, four years ago, you're like, I don't think we're ever getting another Rocky movie. But then you get Creed and you get two great Sylvester Stallone performances in Creed and Creed 2. And he really is, like Ronald said, he's really good and he's really great in this. I mean, he's great. He was, I thought he was incredible in Creed and he's very good in this too. Um, it's just, you know, there's some similar beats that I felt like it, it hit a little too often in this for me with his performance. But I mean, he's still very good. And I mean, like, there's some sequences as that character as Rocky that just completely just move you. And like, I, I felt very moved in a few moments that he shares in the film um, with uh, some, you know, some characters. And um, I mean, it's Sylvester Stallone playing Rocky Balboa. How could it not be moving on some level? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's like culturally important. There's something that just warms right up when you see him in that role. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it, it just like him bouncing the ball is enough to like make me like, oh, man, that's Rocky. I love him. You know, it's like something something so simple but like there's so much nuance in his performance with that character at this point that like he's been able to really explore a couple different facets of who rocky is at this point in his life and i think that's where they kind of go with at the end of the film that i think works really well and i would and i would be okay with buying into a comment like that one that he made on twitter you know if if it does feel like appropriate if that was the case well i mean he said it in this way that seemed like this this respectful farewell to a character. But what's funny is I think he tweeted that from the set of the new Rambo movie that he's doing. So maybe this guy just just, just can't leave well enough alone and he's, he's, he'll be back, you know, give him 10 more years and, and they come up with some, uh, you know, creed in space or some shit like that. And, uh, <laughs> or they just straight out remake Rocky. Right. Which is, I think where we're going with a lot of this material yeah. that we are yeah. like, they're, they're building onto these franchises now, but the next wave is, when everybody's too old to 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 be in it, <laughs> and so yeah. it's a brand new thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's another second part in a series that I did not see, and you guys did, and I really wanted to hear your thoughts on. And I think I might know, but could you guys give me your your quick take on um, Fantastic Beasts to the Crimes of uh, Peanut Brittle or whatever it was called? <laughs> I don't know what the name of the movie. Grindelwald. Was. Um, Grindelwald. Ronald, do you do you mind if I take a moment real quick and do my best, Ronald, at the at this time? Sure. Fuck that movie. <laughs> so I have to, maybe Steve may not feel like this, but I don't think that the obvious culprit ruined this movie. I just think that Johnny Depp was not the thing that ruined this movie, but he was a contributing factor to it not being a good movie, if that makes any sense. It was just totally it, it lost its heart. Like, I feel like. This, the movie was called Fantastic Beasts for a reason, and it feels like the second movie they weren't even a part of the movie anymore. They they weren't even a factor. I don't even know why they called the movie that. It just felt like, yeah. I I don't even know if there was a story. I don't know what. All of the elements that were that were emphasized in the first movie, chasing this kid that become that could become evil, became less of a thing. It, it didn't feel like anything was being accomplished. So we, you're watching a movie, an hour in, and nothing happens. Literally, nothing happens besides this one huge scene at the beginning, the first 10 minutes, and then nothing is happening. Right. It feels like a video game. You're just traveling from place to place, trying to find clues. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck I, was, I saw, man. It was... 
It was a really bad movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I'll probably agree with you. I'll say that like you know Johnny Depp's not the worst part about this movie. But I'll still maintain that I'd rather not see Johnny Depp in this movie, but <laughs> he's definitely not the worst part. So you're right. But I think the biggest takeaway is just that I don't, I don't understand why one they're making five of these films and two, why. Well, this is like a little nitpick, but like, why didn't they just call this like the Wizarding World or something? Yes. Like, that? like I don't understand the moniker of the Fantastic Beasts because I mean, even in the second film, they become less important and really have nothing to do with the story at all. Um, and it's just really weird. Like, which I'm not. I don't. I'm not familiar with the with that book or you know what that story is in that book. But none of the characters that are a part of that story, I, I find none of them interesting in, in this film or even really in the first film. And the two that I found interesting in the first film are really given nothing to do in this film, which is Dan Fogel's character and uh, the girl Queenie in the film. Very, very or is it Fogel? Fogelman? Fogler. Um, like he just, they, they, they're given nothing to do basically. And... Um, it's it's so weird, John. Like it's it's. I'm sure you'll you'll probably you've read it. I'm sure elsewhere. And like if you ever see it, you'll 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 probably get the sense. But like, it's just so obvious that they wanted to do something else with these movies, like to really kind of build out this wizarding world that J.K. Rowling like has in 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 the written form and 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 Pottermore and all these other mediums that she is kind of like cultivated. But it just it really feels like they've like made a sharp corp course correction to try to get back into quicker quickly into a story that ties more into the lore that you learn through like the Harry Potter books. And you know, because they were like so much more successful than these films. And it just doesn't work, man. Like and like Ronald said, like there's an hour of this film, more than an hour, like to me, like probably an hour and forty five minutes of this film where like literally nothing's happening and there's going to be three more of these movies where you're ultimately getting to a big battle I'm assuming between Dumbledore and Grindelwald I mean I don't I don't know but I'm sure that's what they're trying to get to Yeah um but I don't know man it's just it's really bad I mean actually I thought Jude Law was really good in it actually He was great and he's completely like oversold in the trailers in terms of like how much he's in the movie which really kind of irked me because that really is what made me realize that like this is literally like a, a prequel to the third version of the third film in this franchise, which even at that, you don't even know. If, I wonder if anything will happen in that one, knowing that there's a four and five. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird movie. It is the first film of the whole franchise to be rotten, to be certified rotten. Yeah. Um, and I think that it dom- domestically, I doubt it even gets to 200 million, which is insane. And um, I think right now it's at like 130 or 140, and it's in its like third week of release, which is like really bad for a Harry Potter or a Wizarding World film. Um, and even globally, it, it barely is over 500 million, which is like, you know, that's a lot of fucking money. But I mean, for a Wizarding World, Harry Potter, JK Rowling property, it's not. Like yeah. these movies are like billion dollar films in some cases or nearly a billion dollar films. This is this is the first film where the source material isn't actually a book. The Fantastic Beasts is actually just a textbook. It's a guide 
to these animals. There's picture. It's like a picture book with descriptions and history and stuff like that. So this is essentially the equivalent of them taking a ride like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and making four or five movies out of it. It literally is the same thing. Here's another thing that bothers me that that we didn't even touch on. The mysterious characters that show up that say two things. You don't know who they are. They disappear and they have nothing to do with the story moving forward in any way. Right. Somebody will pop up and say, don't do that. That's bad. You don't know who the fuck they are. They don't really say who they are. And and I guess in the future, you're supposed to know who they are. And there's no explanation what so fucking ever and i can't figure out if it's a reference to some of the people in the book or what or them just shittily telling this story this screenplay was written by jk rowling yeah so the question is is she responsible for making these movies i don't know man what is happening what is happening it's like maybe too too much too soon they didn't really let harry potter stay gone yeah I think it's possibly that, that, yeah, I think you're right. Although nothing's going to stay gone, guys. You know, Game of Thrones, is, is they've already gotten to work on prequels on that. Uh, they're now franchising Rick Grimes, who left The Walking Dead. They made a big deal out of uh, Andrew Lincoln uh, leaving Walking Dead, but he's leaving to do a series of Rick Grimes movies for AMC. <laughs> and they're bringing back uh, Aaron Paul in a Jesse Pinkman movie, which I'm interested in that. I think that's going to be written and maybe produced by Vince Gilligan, maybe even directed yeah. by him. That sounds intriguing, but these these franchises, they're never going to let these things end. So if the storytellers are good and there's some story to tell, that'll be good. But frankly, when I think about, like, say, a Jesse Pinkman movie, I could see that being great. But I also think the way that Breaking Bad left his character kind of driving off into the night, that was a great way to leave his character. Um, I... I feel like maybe they should leave some of this up to our imaginations a little bit more than they are willing to with this current franchise era. Do you guys feel the same kind of fatigue? Like knowing that Game of Thrones is going to end next year and you're going to know that when it ends, they're going to already be selling you a series that says the story you think you know isn't the truth. (laughs) Yes. That's exhausting, man. Just the idea of that is so damn exhausting. It is. (sighs) I'm not ready. (laughs) Damn. It's a lot of movies. It is. It really was. I kind of feel like we caught up, and you know, we did a good, we did a yeah, decent. We did pretty good, man. Up. There's going to be a lot more in the next couple of weeks, so we'll have plenty to talk about the next episode. Absolutely. Yes. Some big old movies coming out in the next couple of weeks, guys. I'm excited. And we are actually going to try to be in the same room at some point, which will be yeah. really exciting. That'll be that'll be like my Christmas present. <laughs> We're going to make myself. it happen. <laughs> well, you can you can find us at moviesmovie.com. You can uh, pick up past episodes and whatever podcast platform you prefer say that five times fast um i almost messed that up as i said it so i just felt really happy that i got through it without (laughs) screwing it up um it's hard it's hard to resist sometimes when you do something smooth that you didn't think you would do smoothly and you're like oh but then you have to point it out yeah i I I gotta i gotta bring attention to that yeah Yeah, you just spell your own myth whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, um, you should be able to find us uh, in any of those uh, platforms or apps, whatever you're using. Um, and if you have any uh, issue with finding us in the one of your choice, let us know. We can figure out how to get on there if we're not already there. And if you have any things, films, TV shows that we should be aware of, that we should be talking about, that you want to make sure we're checking out as we 
near the end of 2018. I'm sure we'll be doing some recaps on our favorite, you know, movies, maybe something even a quick episode on some TV to catch up with a new TV Shmeevy episode. Um, there's just been so much that we've all been watching. So if you're, if you saw something that you loved, hit us up on Facebook, uh, let us know what it was. I, I feel like that's probably the best place. Uh, you can also email us movie at gmail.com, but we're pretty active on the Facebook page and we're pretty responsive. So if you have an idea, uh, for an episode even, or just like I said before, like a movie or a TV series, you want to make sure we check out or that we're at least aware of, uh, we would really appreciate that. That'd be nice of you. Um, and if you are on a platform where you can leave a review or a rating of any kind, that would be even nicer of you. Oh, that um, would be so nice to do so. Like it, that's like next level niceness on your part. Um, but yeah, that's it for episode two twenty six. Uh, thank you for listening to Movie Shmovie, and as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.